This is the Hunt Quietly Podcast. I'm Matt Ranella. All right. Brian Christensen, uh, Matt Feinauer coming at us, coming at us from Utah. Thank you, boys, for gentlemen. I mean, boys, that was kind of rude um, for for uh, joining me tonight. Uh, we're going to talk about Utah's state run program that facilitates hunter access on private land. What's the program called, Brian? So we call ours walk-in access. Doesn't get much simpler than that. No. But uh, I want to talk. start out seeing how I got two guys from Utah on just briefly by way of getting warmed up to talk about the walk-in access program. I wanted to talk a little bit, ask a few questions about you hunting in Utah in general. So I don't know if you know this, I know Matt does that in a lot of the country, Utah is kind of looked at as a cautionary tale. Like people say in Montana, in particular, they say, we don't want to become like Utah. And what they typically mean by that is that people look at Utah as kind of like uh, a landowner-centric model of opportunity, landowner-sponsored tags. There's uh, a lot of like t- tag auctions that, uh, or I don't know if there's a lot of them, but there's one big one, right? And there's some expo where they auction. Yeah, our uh, expo. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, expo comes here now several times. So, yeah. is Are those, is that assessment, like, accurate? Yeah, I, if, if you want me to speak to that, I'm, I'm actually surprised to hear that. Because um, although there are some opportunities for people to buy permits like through through that big conservation expo or through some auctions the far majority of the the permits here in utah are are obtained just through an application and and a a drawing uh, or over the counter and and utah's got a lot of public land Um, so i'm a little a little surprised to hear that that's a sentiment out there actually no huh I think to speak on some of that, um, I know there there was a stat that was put out by the the DNR that was related to how quickly tags were starting to go out uh, or sell sell uh, sell out, I should say, um, which has changed pretty dramatically. I think if I remember the right, it was somewhere around 2015, and our our general elk tags took 70 something days to to sell out and uh, for general season bull tags and then within the past few years it's taken 10 to 12 hours to sell out um could you maybe speak to to some of those changes on is that for me yeah okay uh yeah and i that's a that's a realm that as far as the the timing and how fast those permits were um, I probably have to be more generalized because I don't I don't have all the specifics, but I, it, they definitely have over 
you know, the, just the time I've been elk hunting, which is really the past 10, 15 years, uh, I remember just going to the store and you just bought your tag. It just wasn't a, a problem. And, and now as soon as that day opens up to, uh, to sell those permits, the general, this is the general season, um, elk tags, you kind of have to be on it pretty quick. So it's, it's interesting to me that it's that competitive and it hasn't gone to a draw. Yeah, this is probably for general season elk permits. That's kind of one of the last remaining segments of our permits that hasn't gone to a draw and, and the public really doesn't want to see that happen. Um, in general, they want it to stay simple, go to the store and buy it and, and have it be done. Um, there are some people that would rather see it go into a drawing just so that, you know, they can apply for it at their own leisure and draw it or not. Um, but this is, that's, that's probably like I say, one of the last of the many types of permits that aren't in a drawing. Uh, what were you going to say, Matt? Well, I was going to say, just to speak to that, I know the last uh, few years, we I, those tags open up at, I think, about 8 in the morning is when you can start getting them. And These are rifle tags? Yeah, so this is general season, any legal weapon, bull okay. tags. You're just hunting public land. Um, so it's a tag that's good for, for archery during archery season and rifle during rifle season. Yeah. No. Um, it's just during that rifle season, I guess you could use a bow for that. I see. Um, okay. But so it's just that rifle season. That's called any, any legal weapon, but, uh, I've had to get on ready to go seven forty-five in the morning, um, to log on to the, to the website to, to get the tag. And there's times where you you're still there's still, you know, it could be 1200 people in, in line ahead of you ready to get their tags. Um, and, and Brian, is that the only way to get it is online or can you go somewhere and buy it? You can go yeah, somewhere. Uh-huh. We have, we have, uh, well, we call them license agents. It's basically retail stores, sporting goods stores that sell our licenses. So, so Matt, why do you wait here? online when you could just go to the store? Um, lazy ass. I know, but that's what it is. It's either you get up at seven, you know, you're ready to go at seven forty-five, or you're at Walmart at seven forty-five, ready to to buy that tag as as well. Um, so it's, I think, a lot of people do choose to use the online option. You don't sit there um, and wait for a long time or whatever. You do. Okay. Yeah, and in the past, it has been. Uh, more challenging because each year we see more people and more people trying to apply and, 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 and buy those permits on that particular day. And this year, I, I don't know, Matt, if you tried to get one this year, um, but uh, I went on. Skipped. I just had a baby, so I skipped the general season. I went to muzzleloader this year. Okay. Um, well, congrats on that. Um, but the uh, I went on. I wasn't going to buy a, uh, an elk tag this year. But then something just tugged the back of my head and said, yeah, go get one. They're available. You might use it. And I said, okay. So I listened to myself. I logged on about an hour after they were already being sold. And I almost expected not to have any left. And I ended up, I think I waited maybe 20, 25 minutes total um, online to, to buy my permit. 
and there were still some left, but it gets a lot of pressure. You know, folks will go wait in line at, at the grocery store while they're on their phone trying to buy it, while they're got their tablet in their other hand trying to buy it. It puts a lot of pressure on that system, but it's, you know, there's only 20, I want to say there's like 28,000 between the two types of elk tags, the spike and the, the any bull classifications. Any legal bulls. Yeah, the, any, any, yeah. Why would but somebody get the spike archery. tag? Is there like more areas you can hunt for spikes than? No, the spike tags are, there are a certain number of permits there. And, and those units, those spike areas are actually where we do the limited entry bull hunts, the big trophy bull stuff. Yeah, yeah. So if you buy a spike tag, you can only shoot a spike in those units. And, and so there's, there's a handful of those. No, but I said, what would make somebody go, oh, I'm just going to get the spike tag? Instead of getting a branch antler bull tag, is it because you can hunt more areas? I mean, you can obviously, right? There's a bunch of areas, yeah. But the the what we call the any bull tag, which is a branch antler bull, as a general season permit, there there are fewer areas, and we don't, as an agency, we don't manage those areas to have lots of branch antler bulls or or lots of in general. So I there's see. opportunity, but it's it's not like you're going to draw this limited entry tag and you're going to have dozens and dozens of bulls to pick from in multiple places in each unit. So it's it's a different experience. It's a it's a public hunt. Yeah, I got to work for it to really you know get get what you want out of it, and and um, people love it. They just love the opportunity. But the the thing here in utah that i think is a little less understood is we have general season elk tags that are archery only and everybody can buy one there's not a limit on how many we sell um so as long as you don't have another bull tag or something else you can go on right now the hunt's already started you go buy a permit right now and go archery hunting oh that's cool i yeah i I, i'm learning right now i did yeah, I, I did not know that you could you can hunt elk every year as a as a resident of Utah, one way or another. Yes, spikes with a rifle, branch antler bulls with a rifle, or uh, you can archery hunt. Yeah, and it's easiest if you're an archer to get those kinds of permits. You you really can hunt every single year if you're an archer. So a uh, lot of pu- lot of public land in Utah. But there, you still have this access program. Is are there parts of the state where access is tougher, and and that than that what what's necessitating the program, or are there certain species like upland game bird that people are reliant on private land for that? So what what's what niche is the is the access program filling there? You know that's a that's a pretty pretty good question because there is so much public land in utah and there's access to just about every species on those public lands um that the the real need for walk-in access in utah is probably because our northern portion of the state is is has a lot of private land um the further you go south the more public land you'll find um, but, but the Northern, I'd almost say that, well, North of Salt Lake, um, you're, you're going to see a lot of private land and 
And is that uh, where the Deseret Ranch is? It is. Yep, that's part of it. Yeah, that's kind of our north northeastern segment. Um, For those of you that don't know, that's like a ranch where a lot of people spend a lot of money to hunt elk. Yeah, that's a that's a big ranch. It's got like a couple hundred thousand acres, I think. Um, but there is quite a bit of of private land up there, and so we have. It kind of started, if you want some history, yeah. Of, of where we began with walk-in. And I, I'll be honest, I had to do some digging because I've been doing this for about five years and uh, uh, nobody really wrote the history book of, of walk-in access. So I, I went through a bunch of old notes and meetings and. No, now and you're, the, now you're the Utah historian. You're the <laughs> resident historian on the. Yeah, on the... Well, I don't know that anybody's going to dispute what I have to say because it was it was hard enough to find all the information on on where we. Oh, began. you can just make but, shit up then. <laughs> I probably could on this, <laughs> but it'd be boring stuff. So, um, it, what it looks like to me is is sometime in two thousand four, um, there was some discussion about starting up this walk in access or this private land made available to public uh, hunters. And so they created a three-year private or a three-year pilot program to see if it was even something that would work out. And and they started it in the right place, which was up in our northern portion of the state. And uh, it didn't take long. And they had well quite a number of of uh, landowners that were interested and opened up this stuff this this land to be able to hunt it on and then i don't know exactly how many original landowners uh, were in the pilot program um but after three years it was pretty clear they did an evaluation and saw that this would be a beneficial thing statewide and and so they formalized it as a real division run a, a state state run program and uh, established, you know, its purpose. And, and, and back then it's basically the same as it is now. And it was built really to open up more, more space for people to hunt and fish and kind of create some new partnerships and new relationships with landowners where sometimes there may have been some, some friction. This was an opportunity to kind of join together, join hands and, and, uh, and find some some common ground there there were some landowners at the time that, that thought you know their land would be good and and should be made available for public use and uh and it it went really well in the opening years and and so they opened it up statewide um and and basically it's a it's a really simple program we we meet with a landowner we talk to them about what kinds of hunting or fishing they want to allow on the land because each each section of land that we have with these landowners is different you know there is some of it's desert some of it's forested so what is available is a little different um, from place to place and so we meet with them we talk about what what uh, would be best suited there and then um, write up some details and then we we just make the agreement that that's that's uh, going to be open land for the public to do those things. They get some compensation for it, 
and then we put it on our website say here's the map and the public can go do those those things so it could be hunting sometimes it's big game sometimes it's upland game sometimes it's fishing just kind of depends on each one but as far as the niche goes it's probably the most effective for opening up land up in our northern part of the state but it has also opened up some unique places um, for example some of our walking access areas are right on some of the best wetlands i would argue in the entire portion of north america and i haven't been to canada north so maybe there's a better wetland up there but um, for waterfowl hunting there's some of the best places really ever and they're open to the public because of a walking access uh, a lease wow that's really cool so just would you mind describing these wetlands or they're they're uh like along rivers um the some of the ones I'm, I'm thinking of there's there's a few that are just real small river segments that just are real productive to have waterfowl year-round or yeah year-round others are small ponds but the one of my favorites is is uh if you're familiar with antelope island on the great salt lake you can't hunt waterfowl out there but there's a, a cause ducks land on that thing there ducks love everywhere out there really <laughs> they they they'll go anywhere near that lake um, okay. on the on the western uh i'm sorry on the eastern shore of the great salt lake from that causeway that runs out to the antelope island south that east that that eastern shoreline has all kinds of of space um for long ways um, probably 20 30 miles worth um and some of that is publicly accessible and some of it has been kind of locked up because of uh of private land ownership but because of some of these walking access opportunities it's opened up some of those those areas um to access that the the great salt lake and the and the waters that kind of lead up to the great salt lake there's some streams there's um, smaller pockets of water. Um, I think we call them brackish areas where it's mixed fresh water and heading in towards the, the, the salt water. And there's just some really great waterfowl areas that, that, uh, otherwise would be hard to get to. Um, you'd have to have a, an airboat or something to get out on the lake, come back in towards the, the shoreline to otherwise get to those spots. And we have some great partners some great landowners that have uh, you know become part of this program and let that be open um, so it's really administered just like in a sense like public land you, you 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 don't the hunter doesn't sign up uh there's not limits on how many people per day there it's kind of a mix in 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 one aspect you're right it is treated like public land by the public visitors we do require an annual um it's called a walk-in access authorization and that's a real long word for a piece of paper we ask everybody that's going to go on and hunt or fish on these walk-in access properties once a year to go in and get on online on our license system they just go in like they're going to buy a license but it's free so it's, it's just kind of this document that you get 
And that lets us know how many people are using it, um, how many are actually doing stuff on the walk-in access areas, um, but there's no charge to it. And then, and then the other side of it is the landowners that, that we make these agreements with, they do have the right when we build these agreements to kind of put some restrictions in. And, and in recent years, the past few years, we've tried to make those as simple as possible. And most of them, if it's upland game hunting that they allow, it's normally upland game hunting as it is in our guidebook. So the same seasons, the same bag limits, the same, you know, uh, hunter orange rules, all that kind of stuff. It's just like you'd be hunting public land. But there are some, um, for example, the going back to that, that one on the wetlands I was telling you about, that particular landowner doesn't allow dove hunting on on their uh, their particular property, so they do have an exclusion. Um, but we can waterfowl hunt there during that entire waterfowl season, and and so there there are some some uh, special restrictions or special conditions um, throughout the different uh, walking access properties. Some allow trapping with you know, for bear trapping, most don't. So there's, there's some, that's, that's really why we, we have our website, um, for walking access it, at any given time, you can pull up that map and it's an interactive map. You can zoom in and see the boundaries You can change it to see the topography, the, the satellite view, but on the side, when you click on a, on a particular property, it will tell you where it's at, what you're allowed to hunt or fish or, you know, what you're not allowed to do. And it's, it's pretty basic. We try to keep it as simple as possible. So it's just not confusing. To add to that, to add to that, um, something I found really convenient was you've got a QR code on every sign that for the access, correct? Yeah. Where you can in that QR code and it pulls, it pulls you up right to the website. Um, I've, you know, found properties that way where I see the sign, I scan it and I can get that permit um, right on my phone and have it mailed to me or I can have it printed off really easily. Wait, so what is this now? I'm getting, I, I lost the thread. So they have a sign that, that states where, that this land is walking access and there's a little QR code that you can scan with your phone that takes you right to the website to oh, download that license. You haven't gotten your yearly permit yet that allows you to do that. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. I've regained the thread. Yeah. And and that's what a lot of people will do. They'll they'll just take their phones, um, log in, download that, you know, but they'll they'll get that authorization. You know, some call it a permit, some call it a license. I technically I have to call it an authorization because that's the name of it, but it's, it's just a, it's just an electronic document that could be printed if you wanted and just says you're, you're okay to go on walking access areas. And it's, it's pretty easy. It's been, been nice having that QR code on those signs. As soon as you get there, in case you forgot, it's like, Oh yeah, I gotta, I gotta have this thing. I'll go do that now. What's the, how do you how do you determine uh, compensation? Is is it on a per acre basis or yeah? So dealing? we we do um, we do it a little different for fishing versus hunting. 
and and some of our properties are just fishing so um i was gonna i was gonna tell you that on we have about a hundred and it, it, this fluctuates from time to time and right now we're sitting around 111 different properties in the state that are part of walk-in access and some of those are just fishing properties it's just part of a river or a stream um and the way we determine their compensation is um for fishing it's one set of um one set of rules or, or parameters and for hunting properties it's a whole different set and right now we publicly post this as i know some states won't post what they uh they compensate their landowners for and, and they've got different reasons for that but we ours is ours is on the website our website so you can see it but we do um for any hunting property just as a base it's 440 dollars a year plus a dollar 10 per acre um so if you have a 100 acre uh property you get that that uh 440 and then another what 110 dollars if my math is any good so it's it's not a ton um and and some people may kind of laugh at that amount um but that's that's kind of where it's been for the past few years and um, before that, it was a little less. We raised it shortly after I got in um, to that level. So four forty plus a dollar ten an acre, and and we're we're at a we have a maximum of what we can do each year per property, just based on some some uh, state rules on on uh, purchasing. Because if it goes over a certain amount, then we have to do a different a whole different process on on compensation and and. It's probably doable. We've never had that really come up. Um, so that's what we do for for hunting. Um, they also get outside of just that that monetary payment. Um, we'll typically add some some law enforcement patrolling during the hunt season to kind of keep an eye on those properties. You know, as as our officers are are available, they'll take an extra moment and stop over and make sure things are okay at those those properties we'll also have um we'll help out with uh, anything that the public damages you know if they're knocking fences over if uh, signs are getting shot up or litter damage things like that uh, we we do our best to to work with the landowners and make sure that you know this is not just free run of their land that, that we have a stake in it and we want to make sure that they're not not being damaged by being part of this so we'll we'll help fix their fences we'll help uh you know clean up we do volunteer projects every year at all the walk-in access areas to make sure that any litter or shot shells things like that that get left oh so um, you'll do you'll show up on every property and do something yeah wow we and 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 our are citizens involved in that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we we have another program. We we kind of started chatting about this earlier, but we have another program that's it's a, a deer hunting uh, program we call Dedicated Hunter, and uh, our participants in that we can get into it deeper if you want. But basically, they they apply to be a dedicated hunter, and and 
if they draw a spot in that program, uh, we allow them to hunt three years in a particular unit. They get to hunt all three seasons, the archery, muzzleloader, and rifle season. And there's some other perks to it, but in, in exchange, they commit to doing 32 hours worth of um, wildlife-related service, wildlife-approved service. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So, and, so part this, of, and part of that is is doing cleanup or whatever never needs to be done on these walk-in access properties. We, we put those together, yeah. So we, we, we build a whole bunch of different kinds of projects for that group um, because they're looking for, for related volunteer service and we want to make sure it benefits Utah and Utah's wildlife. And, and one of the many, many projects we offer to those dedicated hunter uh, participants is, is to help out with these walk-in access properties and make sure that, that they're not trashed, make sure they're, they're kept in good condition. And we don't go, you know, fixing sinks and, and, and toilets and stuff for those landowners, but we certainly will, will address any issue that seems to be caused by public use of that property. And, and that's been a really neat thing to be doing because now we're connecting the hunters with the landowners, the landowners with us and us with the land, the, the hunters. We have this kind of triangle partnership. And, and it seems to have been pretty good. Uh, I, 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 we don't see really a whole lot of heartache from anybody about, about that, that connection. And, uh, you know, the hunters love having access to the land. The landowners like their land being treated well. And, and we like having that relationship with both of them. So it's, it's been a nice, been a nice thing altogether, really. Yeah. It sounds fabulous. So how is it funded? Uh, the fishing, anything that's fishing related is funded by the Utah Division of Wildlife. Uh, it's it's going to come from uh, the general funding. Uh, general is the wrong word because that's actually a term. But the, the basic funding we have from hunting and fishing licenses and other things, um, I think the proper term is restricted funding, but it's, it's just funding from the Division of Wildlife. The hunting properties, uh, we are... We are lucky enough to be the recipient pretty much every year of a federal grant that's tied to the Pittman-Robertson, the, the federal funding there. And so we apply, I apply every year uh, for, a, for a, a grant. We put in, the Division of Wildlife puts in 25% as match, um, and then they give us the rest. And so far each year, we've, we've been that recipient. So, What's the name of that? The, it is, you know, I looked for like a title of the grant to see if it was like had a real specific name and it has a, has a bunch of numbers. <laughs> so I don't know if that's helpful, but, um, well, this is, I think they I call it a whisper or a WSFR grant. Okay. This is all, this is definitely news to me. Is it? I had, oh yeah. I had no idea. We, our little group is has become well aware of the vpa yes. dollars uh -huh. but i did not know that there was some grant that you can get that's associated with pr money yes so that's yeah. really interesting so we started um in the first several years of this program walking access was funded through 
the VPA, HIP, the vol- or the, I think it's Voluntary Public Access Habitat Incentive Program. And um, I don't know habitat why... Habitat Improvement Program. Improvement. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't know why we discontinued that particular route or going through that particular funding process. It may have had some stipulations that didn't work for whatever we were doing at the time. But so, so we started with that. And then at least since I've been involved, uh, we've been doing it through this other one. Let me see if I can find here. Yeah. I would love to be able uh, to like, more go to their, go to their website or something that, yeah, that's really cool that there's some something like that that's funded by PR dollars. I had no idea. Did you know that, Matt? No, I didn't. And I, I'm kind of curious. Like, is there a way for just the general public to to add to that fund or donate to that fund? Uh, if they wanted to do, if they wanted to contribute to Utah's walk-in access, um, I know that anybody that wants to donate funding to the Division of Wildlife can can make a donation directly to us and i know there's ways i'm not in the fiscal world um but i know there's ways for a donation to be uh generally earmarked you know if somebody specifically wants it to go to restoration of sage grouse they can they can make that request when they make the donation um we don't currently have a system set up to say if you want to donate a dollar to this particular walk-in access fund so we can have more walk-in access, just push the button. We don't have anything like that, but I don't think we turn down donations at all. It's just a matter of finding the right the right process to do it and make it easy. Uh, we've been fortunate in, in Utah to, with, with this grant we get from the federal side and our own funding that we've allocated, to walk-in access, we've not had a shortage. Uh, we've not had more properties interested than we've had money for. Um, so we could grow. We could actually add and not have to ask for more money. We also don't ask for a lot relatively compared to s- other states, from what I understand. So it's it's probably easier for the the federal grant to to be grant to be given to us. And they're pretty good about making sure that that we don't ask for too much that we're using exactly what we need and, and not asking for excess. So it's a nice balance there, but we could grow right now. And we're looking at adding a couple of new properties this year in the next couple months. And, and that'll increase. I, I hope to see. What's the process to add new properties? Is there, so let's say I have a hundred acre property and I, and I wanted to get it, get involved in the program. How would I find out about it? That could happen a couple of ways. Sometimes we have um, landowners that are just curious enough to stumble upon it in our, our on our website, and then my contact information is there. Or we have I have five different regions in Utah, um, and each one has a walk-in access specialist or coordinator, so they all have their contact information there as well. So if you live in uh, northern part of the state, I've got somebody that you talk to. If you live in the southern part, it might be somebody else. Um, and then we just arrange a meeting. We chat. We review the, the landscape, see what it what it has to offer. And really within uh, a couple of weeks, it could be turned into a walk-in access. And that's all the paperwork and processing and all that kind of stuff um, can happen really fast. 
I think most of our new, the new landowners that join up are probably finding out because their neighbor's doing it. They see a walk-in access sign. They ask the neighbor, what is that about? And then it's word of mouth from there. Uh, occasionally our, our division staff members, as they're out working the land and talking to landowners about you know, wildlife issues, whether they be good or bad, they'll talk about walking access. And, I, and there's one that we just we're working on right now that that's the case. One of our, our staff members was just out saying hi and, uh, and the topic came up somehow and the landowner said, yeah, that sounds like a neat thing. I could do that. Um, I, I, I think I'll, I'd say though, most of the landowners we have that are doing this walking access program in Utah have a real belief or ethic that, that the land should be used. The land should be enjoyed by the, by everyone, but they still want to retain the control of, of their land so that it's just not overrun or, or abused. Um, they want to enjoy their land, but, but feel like the things that are there should be enjoyed by others. Yeah. I think and that's so, the proper, I think that's the proper sentiment to have in mind. If you're somebody that's been blessed and uh, with, with land ownership. And it resolves issues too. Like we, we just don't have real problems. We don't have fights with our, our landowners. Um, because they, they hold this ethic, you know, for the most part, um, we, we certainly don't pay them a lot comparatively, you know, what they could do in other ways for the use of that land. And, and so they, they've got to have that belief that their, that their land is important to more than just, just their own use. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, yeah. I mean, if we paid them a bajillion dollars a year then the interest might be different. The reasons for doing it right. might be different. There's, there is that. Not that I wouldn't like to. I would love to find ways to, Up the comp, to add to that. Because life is not getting yeah. cheaper in yeah. this world. Yeah. And access for hunting is is getting more expensive. So, that, you know, you know I, I can only imagine that some of these people get tempted to go another route, like with an outfitter mm -hmm. or or yeah. leasing it to one individual or, Hey, listen, before we get too far away from this, Brian, yeah. well, you don't need to look it up now, but would you, would you mind getting the details on this, these PR funded grants and, 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 and emailing me a website or something? Yeah. Yeah. I can find that out. I, like I said, I did look earlier for like a name. I, I was hoping for like the VPA grant. It has a real distinguished name. And this other one that we use, I just didn't see anything other than a bunch of numbers. So I'll, I'll find out what the best way to, to research and, and access that particular grant. Is. Yeah. That seems like something we should get our finger on the, on the pulse of for sure. I don't know sure. if you know this, but right now, like the, the, the next round of the farm bill is going through the legislative process and the, there's a proposal that would tr triple the VPA hip dollars. Oh, wow. So in the next farm bill, it would be a $150 million allocation. Whereas in the last farm bill was, was 50 million. I, I, I hope that, that that reflects a growing appreciation in, in the legislature for the need for, for access, you know? So, uh, Next thing I wanted to ask you about is how many acres are enrolled in the program? This is a hunting podcast. So if you could give us a, give us that acre value 
for for hunting maybe just minus the fishing uh would be most in of most interest to our listenership and and a little bit about the trajectory of that acreship has it been increasing stable uh, how has it changed since 2004 yeah um so we have right now as of like an hour and a half ago uh, 57,588 acres for hunting access. Among those, 67 of the properties of the 111 are offering big game hunting and more than that offer upland. And then there's turkey, waterfowl, cougar, bear, and then fur bear trapping. But right now it's, it's close to 58,000 with the few that we've got in process we're working on the contracts right now we might hit 60 roughly 60,000 within the next couple of weeks and then our goal by the end of the year is is to be sitting around 65,000 that's that's kind of the the place we'd like to be sitting what, yeah you're not talking um, about the calendar year or are you no the fiscal year so july okay. gotcha and so by by next hunt season, not this current one, but the next one, we'd like to have sixty-five thousand. I see um, there. So slow growth is what what we're kind of aiming for. We've taken a lot of time. This is and and that number. You asked if it was a decline or increase. We're probably at the lowest that we've ever had um, right now, and and some of that, I went back and kind of looked at files, and. In the beginning, we had we got up to about I don't know 100 and just over 100,000, maybe 110,000 acres uh, of of land. So we're sitting roughly half what it was once. And when was that? When was it at its peak? The peak would have been oh, I, I kind of had this out. The peak would have been maybe eight, ten years ago, probably eight years ago. Yeah. So what do you think happened uh, there? A lot, some of it has to do with development of land. We have a lot of landowners that have joined up that, that are older. They've owned the land for a long time and they choose to put their land in a trust or uh, start to divide it up among their kids and it gets inherited. And then the kids have different, different thoughts on what they want to do with the land. Some of them want to create their own cabin properties. Some want to sell it and, 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 you know, make the retire essentially others want to leave it just how it is. So development of the land, however you want to look at that has definitely taken a toll on, on properties that are involved. Uh, we also did a, uh, a really extensive audit of all the properties that we had at one point, right after I got in back just before I got into this, we did. They started a, a pretty pretty good review, and and we were finding over time that some of the things, some of the properties, just weren't quite providing what what we needed them to do. Um, you know, some some of, as an example, uh, in one part of the state, we had a huge oil and gas boom, and and there were a lot of oil derricks built on on some of these types of properties, and it did change the landscape, and and so. We've shifted, we've tried to shift and, and focus 
the, the, the funds we have onto the best possible locations and, and let go of some that just didn't offer quite as much and, and just maximize the value of, of the, the public's money essentially to the best possible locations. And there's still some variation in, in quality, but between those two main things, the sale of land to somebody else, you know, transfer of land um, or, or development, structure development on property has really taken a toll on, on what we used to have. Okay, that makes sense. And then the only other thing I really wanted to ask you about is, so I, we were talking a little bit about our nonprofit Hunters for Access, and this we've only been in existence for not even a year yet. And I was telling you, you know, like, let me just tell you briefly, like in Montana, Montana has the the biggest program of the, its kind, like our version of your walk-in access program is called block management. And we have over 6 million acres in it. Um, wow. Yeah. It used to be 7 million. It's shrunk some too. And what we do is we raise money and there's block management appreciation dinners throughout the state. And we show up at, at we, we only operate in one of one region, but there's, there's 14 of these dinners, two per hunting district. There's seven hunting districts. And we show up at our, at the one the, the, in Eastern Montana re, region seven, which is like, there's w way more block management land in that region than in the others. And, uh, we hand out gift cards to home and ranch supply stores, uh, and get raffle off, uh, half shelters and stuff like that and then we do and then we do work projects we did nine work projects on participating properties this summer and this is our first year formally doing this you know and now we have a chapter in kansas and it's looking more and more like we're gonna have a chapter in minnesota there's a big group of folks there that are starting to talk about starting something there and uh, matt was just telling me before we jumped on that there's somebody in michigan that's thinking about starting a chapter. So I guess for the, for, for hopefully those, there's some sportsmen in Utah that end up hearing this conversation and hearing about this program and getting inspired. Would there be a way for them to facilitate the, the growth and, and uh, of the walk-in access program there, there in Utah, would there be a way that a hunters for access kind of model might work there? Off the top of my head, I don't, I don't see why not. Uh, we, we work with a lot of different conservation organizations in Utah in a variety of ways. And so I, I kind of would look at this as a similar, similar approach where there's a, a group that wants to support wildlife and access the wildlife and where we can join hands for lack of another way to say it. I, I don't see how we couldn't find ways to work together and and have that be a benefit um, walk-in access could probably use a boost here in utah as far as its awareness and and also the public involvement and that that sounds really appealing I'd, I'd love to to hear more about that learn more about that you know the, the group and and see what it would be able to do here in utah 
Well, there you have it, Utah hunters. So if this is something that you, you care about and you value there in the in 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 that state, then you should reach out to us. Uh, you can go to huntersforaccess.org or you can email me at huntquietly.org. And uh, what we've been doing in like here's an example in Minnesota, the way that chapters starting to kind of come together as people have been reaching out to me and then I put them in contact with one another. And now there's, like I say, there's a group that's working on it. The same thing happened in Kansas. People just reached out to me. I put them in touch with one another and now they got their own, their own chapter there. And we have a website that can help uh, these chapters with getting volunteers to do work projects. You can go to, if you go to hunt quietly or the hunt hunters for access.org, you can sign up there to do a work project. It's not set up for Utah yet. We need some leadership there, but for Kansas and Montana, it is you sign up and say, Hey, I would love to come do a day of, of work, or you can make, just make a financial, you can make a donation. One thing we're going to be doing this winter is, we're going to be approaching the hunting industry, hunting companies, and asking for donations of gear and stuff like that. And then we're going to raffle all that off to make money for for uh, landowner appreciation gifts. And our plan is to, no matter how many chapters there ever are, is our group is going to distribute those funds amongst all the the chapters. So what we're trying to do is facilitate the growth of this. And and if sportsmen want to get involved and in 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 uh, growing these state-run programs, this provides them a, the infrastructure to do that through the through the use of the website and some funding mechanisms. So yeah, I I hope that uh, folks there in Utah that value what you you guys do there, Brian, uh, reach out and 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 start to get creative about ways to grow the program and protect the program. And I really appreciate you taking the time to tell us about it tonight. It's, it sounds like a really neat deal. It sounds like you have some great landowners in, involved. I love hearing stories about that landowners just kind of feel a responsibility to to share their land with people. That's I, I, I think that's uh, people like that need to be celebrated. To add to that, I've had some amazing experiences on with this program. Um, some amazing opportunities on the walking access, and I would love to see it expand. So if there are any uh, listeners out in Utah that do want to start supporting this, that do want to su- start Hunters for Access out here, please reach out to me on on uh, on the Hunt Quietly Instagram as well. If, if, if that's easier for you to, to do that rather than email, we'll get you set up with the right people still. You can also be in direct contact with me. Um, I'd love to to help get something started. Yeah, but if you're gonna if you're gonna work with Matt Feinauer on this, you can't totally take all of his time because he's pretty instrumental to the Hunt Quietly movement as well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and and if if I have still a little moment to to add a couple of things, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Didn't mean to like cut you off if you have more to say. No. you're good. I, you know, it's, it's, I like to talk about walking access because it, it, it has meant a lot to those that use the properties, um, really tend to appreciate them. Uh, it, it, 
provides some locations that are often closer to their homes than it might otherwise take to to get to the same kinds of places and do the same kinds of hunting. Some of the grouse hunting is best on on these private lands, and uh, and so we really appreciate their you know these landowners participating. But I think one of the ways that the public can really support at least Utah Utah's program. I love I love the concept that you that you're talking about with with the uh, the hunters for access, and I think that that could be really cool here. But also simply the use of it. If if we know that people are getting that walk-in access authorization document, then we know how many people are interested in it. And so that's really important for us to have them do that step, even though it's free, because then we know, okay, here's how many people this year are out there. Then use that that online map, make sure they know what kinds of things they can do there, and then go use them. Go actually be there and do it. And while they're there, you know, treat it like it, like like we all should, right? With with absolute respect and and you know any litter that gets seen or any any problems that get seen there to kind of let us know about it so that we can maintain a really healthy relationship with you know between hunters and the landowner. But uh, I think I think we have a lot of room to grow, and you know some of these concepts you're talking about it could be really really great. And and land in Utah is not going to get more public. People are buying it up left and right and and so it'll be important to to establish these these relationships and these walking access properties now while while it's still a, a an appealing thing and while there's still landowners that are hunting landowners that are having good relationships with with people using their land so i, I really appreciate your time you know given given utah a little bit of of attention to and and you know we we are certainly a state that values hunting and and wants it to be around for a very long time. Thank you, Brian. Yeah, reach out to us if there's anything more we can do to help. I'm so glad you guys are out there doing this. Um, you never have to go to bed wonder at night wondering whether what you do matters because public that public access is a huge thing, and uh, it's. It's got to be rewarding work to be involved in facilitating it. All right, fellas, have a good night. Okay, thank you.